Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. Presented by Bridge Bank. Be bold. Venture wisely. I'm Dan Primack. On today's show, Jewel gets knocked out of China and President Trump's stealthy Silicon Valley visit. But first, a roadblock for the IPO parade. So that's the sound of the New York Stock Exchange opening bell. And on lots of mornings this month, that one or something similar over at the Nasdaq are being rung by CEOs of companies that have just gone public. Just today, we got IPOs for a giant dental equipment maker called Invista and a cancer drug startup called IMG. Later this week, we get a company you've probably heard of, at-home spin bike maker Peloton, plus one you maybe haven't, an enterprise SaaS play called Datadog that many think will pop like Zoom Video did earlier this year. But all of those companies, all of those offerings have been overshadowed by the continuing saga of WeWork, which was expected to launch its IPO process this week, but didn't. Now the plan, or at least the hope, is to begin in mid to late October. Now, one big issue with WeWork, and maybe to a lesser extent Peloton, is the willingness of public market investors to tolerate big losses. Silicon Valley has been driven for the past several years on a theory of growth at all costs, with bottom lines quickly being sacrificed at the altar of unicorn valuations and market share grabs. But there is a growing belief that the line between acceptable losses and irresponsible losses has been crossed, with WeWork as the poster child for it. And if that becomes conventional wisdom, it could violently upend the way that other startups get funded and managed. The bottom line here, there's a lot more riding on WeWork's IPO than just its own future. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper with CNBC reporter Leslie Picker. But first, this. The Equity Fund Resources Group at BridgeBank is a central hub for the venture capital and private equity communities. Offering banking services for funds, partners, and their portfolio companies, BridgeBank's financial solutions are designed for the entire innovation ecosystem and include creative credit solutions, robust treasury and cash management capabilities, and a suite of international banking products. BridgeBank is a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. We're joined now by CNBC reporter Leslie Picker. For years, it seemed that companies that were going public, particularly tech startups that were going public, had pursued kind of this growth at all costs philosophy and losses didn't really matter because the top line was growing so fast. And then this year we get Uber and Lyft and maybe WeWork. And when they're struggling, everyone talks about the losses. Has there been, from your perspective, a sea change on this or is it simply a one off for these really, really large companies? I think that's a really good question and something that I always expected kind of this reckoning to happen when the markets fell and the comparably publicly traded companies suddenly weren't valued so well. So then people would look to the private companies and say, well, why are we ascribing a $47 billion valuation to a company that's losing you know, upwards of a billion and a half a year? That hasn't really happened. As you know, the publicly traded markets are doing quite well. The economy, you know, it has its issues here and there, but you know, it's really kind of chugging along as well. This reckoning is really just happening kind of in an almost, it seems like in more of an isolated environment where public market investors have suddenly said, you know, actually, we're not so into this idea of growth at all costs. Losses are important to us now. We want to see a path to profitability. And a lot of these companies are new to not just the public markets, but just to the world in general from a business model standpoint. And so these public market investors are like, we can't see the runway to profitability because we've never seen anything like this before. And therefore, we're not quite ready to hand over, you know, millions of dollars in your IPO. What do you make of what's happened with WeWork? And I mean, from the sense of the piling on of it, there were a lot of questions, for example, about 
Uber and Lyft. But there wasn't this kind of, you know, it almost reminds me of one kid starts getting picked on. So all the kids decide it's okay to pick on them. And there's safety in that, right? Like, I'm not going to be the dumb one for saying this is a bad deal because everyone's saying it's a bad deal. Do you have a sense why WeWork seems to be the one not Lyft, not Uber, not? And by the way, there are other VC backed IPOs that have you know gone down 80 percent since they went public. Why this one specifically? I think WeWork benefited from Groupthink on the way up. Groupthink helped it get that $47 billion valuation because people saw SoftBank investing. They saw all these marquee investors coming into that name and said, okay, well, that must be a really good company I'm going to invest too, regardless of you know some of the issues that they may have had. Now, Groupthink, I think to your point, on the way down is also at play here where people are saying, I just don't know if I can trust this company anymore. I think a lot of the corporate governance stuff spooked people because it's corporate governance in a way that they hadn't seen it before. People have seen, you know, multiple classes of shares. People have seen lack of poison pill in these prospectuses and so forth. But people haven't really seen things like, you know, a CEO's wife being able to be a part of a small group of people that can name a successor when they die. And people haven't seen some of the headlines with regard to CEOs taking out upwards of $700 million, regardless of whether holistically he actually did take out $700 million. That was what the headline said. It was a bad headline. Yes. Let me ask, though, about that. So I'm curious. The corporate governance thing is interesting. You're right. When we work filed, there was all sorts of god awful corporate governance stuff. And then we work, admittedly, because investors pushed back last week, changed a lot of that and really basically said, dear investors, we hear what you're saying, and we are going to fix our corporate governance. And I almost wonder if investors don't in some way reward them for doing that. And I understand it's rewarding you for fixing past bad behavior. But if they don't, then it would seem to me to be very hard to convince the next hot tech IPO CEO to give up some power because he's going to look and say, well, WeWork did it and it didn't help them at all. Why would I give up any now? One of my colleagues, Robert Frank, actually used a really, really great metaphor for this. And it's almost as if you go to a restaurant, they serve you, say, chicken that makes you sick and you have food poisoning from that chicken. Do you go back to that restaurant and try again? Some people would say, you know, if they say, you know, we've cleaned up, we figured out what the cause of it was. Sent you a free coupon? Yeah, I got a free coupon. Like, I'm going to go back and do this. But some people are so scarred from the experience in the first place that even though they've kind of cleaned up their act or they say they've cleaned up their act, They are just recalling the feeling that they felt when they had that food poisoning, and they're not going to go back to the restaurant. I think similar dynamics are at play with WeWork, that some investors are looking at this saying, I can't even believe that they had the audacity to put this in here in the first place, and therefore, I don't want anything to do with it, even though they've cleaned up their act. And then other investors are saying, well, you know, if they clean this up, if the price is right, if it's coming in at a discount because other people are walking away, maybe I'll try that food again and see what happens. I mean, you know, jump full into the pool, but I can at least dip a toe in and, you know, maybe I'll have a good payoff here. You suggested on TV yesterday, you and I were on together and you you made a suggestion that maybe the thing has been beaten down so much that it is now going to be viewed by some people as a buying opportunity. Yeah. What I love about covering this deal so much, and I think you do such a great job in encapsulating this, is this whole idea of an investor psychology surrounding it. Because so much of it is investor psychology when it comes to IPOs in the first place. But one person I talked to who is advising this, because, you know, you talk to people who are close to this deal and you say, okay, what do you do now? I mean, you're delaying this thing. Studies have shown in the past that, you know, if a company delays their IPO, the chances of them actually completing the IPO is like one in 10. Very, very 
small likelihood of actually completing a deal once you've delayed it. So what do you do? How do you look at this where people have basically said, you know, beaten it down so much, whether it's in the market or the press or elsewhere. And he said, you know what? Sometimes things can get so bad that they're actually good again. Leslie, final thing, and I hate to ask you to make predictions, but I'm going to ask you to make a prediction. WeWork says it is going to go public before 2019 ends. Do you think they will? I think they have all the incentives in the world. No, that's not my question. Are they going to get out? (laughs) I think they'll do it. I can't imagine they just pull this thing all together. I don't know how. I think that would just be a death nail for the company at this point. Fair enough. Leslie Picker, reporter, CNBC. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Dan. My final two right after this. The equity fund resource group at Bridge Bank is a central hub for the venture capital and private equity communities. Leveraging nearly two decades of expertise delivering solutions to emerging technology and growth companies, BridgeBank now offers services for funds, SBICs, and general partners including creative credit solutions, robust treasury management capabilities, and a suite of international banking services. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Be bold, venture wisely. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is vaping, or actually the lack thereof. So last week we did a show about how e-cigarette makers like Juul are in big trouble in the US, with President Trump seeking a total ban on flavored products, including mint and menthol. In that show, we mentioned how e-cigarette makers might need to make their fortunes overseas, particularly in China, much like traditional combustible cigarette makers have done. And that's just what they seemed to be doing, with Juul launching vape pen and pod sales last week on Chinese e-commerce sites JD.com and Tmall, which is owned by Alibaba. But then yesterday, those products disappeared without warning or explanation. And not just no warning or explanation to consumers, Juul says it hasn't been told what happened. So for now, this whole business globally looks to be going up in smoke. And finally, President Trump ventured into Silicon Valley yesterday for a super secret fundraiser hosted by former Sun Microsystems CEO, Scott McNeely. And let me emphasize the super secret part. McNeely is only reportedly the host. He didn't publicly acknowledge it, nor is there a known guest list, no Instagram posts of tech execs and investors with the president or tweets about how great it was to meet him. Those in Silicon Valley who support Trump know not only that they're in the minority, but that their support is viewed as a badge of dishonor, so much so that it could negatively affect future recruitment or investment opportunities. Leaving aside whether or not that's justified, it is just worth pausing for a moment to just think about how stunning it is that a sitting U.S. president must essentially sneak in and out of a fundraiser for fear of hurting the reputation of his own supporters. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Jesse Lee, have a great National Cheeseburger Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata Podcast.